You must tell me all your secrets. Remember, we must share everything together. tortured and murdered. Our killer is a white male, about 30 years old. Carl Rudolph Starger was at the house under surveillance for about 20 minutes. He keeps them in this thing for about 40 hours. And after 40 hours, the water starts. And it doesn't stop. There is a girl that is missing. Her name is Julia Hickson. He is the only one that knows where she is. If he was conscious, do you think that he would tell you where she is? Are you sure? I'm sure. You bring in this monster, and you're asking her to go into that monster. to Girls, Guts, and Giallo. I'm, as always, Annie Rose Malamet, and I am joined today by the person who did the art for the podcast, the Girls, Guts, Giallo art, Sakari Singh. Hi, Sakari. Hey. <laughs> and I'm so excited to have you on. We've been talking for, I feel like, a year uh, about having you on the podcast. I know. I'm like so nervous because this is like my favorite podcast. Oh, you're the best. I that I, I'm so honored that this is your favorite podcast. And I knew that you had to be the one to do the new art for it because you drew that amazing portrait of me. And I was just like this. Yeah, I, I need this in my life. So can you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do and what you're about? 
Uh, my name's Sakari Singh. I'm an assistant director um, at Titmouse Animation. Um, I'm also an illustrator. I do cosplay. I'm trying to be a quarantine fashionista. And um, I also co-host a podcast called Fan Favorite with Jake D. Thompson. It's a RuPaul's Drag Race uh, watch podcast. Amazing. Yeah, everybody go follow Sakari because she has amazing looks. I'm just like obsessed. I feel like I repost every look that you have on your Instagram. Like that cow look. That's like the reason to do it, man. Like that cow. I feel like that uh, fucking Parks and Rec meme. Like, could a depressed person make this? Right. (laughs) Shows you I'm not depressed. (laughs) (laughs) So today we're talking about the 2000 Jennifer Lopez movie. In my mind, it's a Jennifer, always a Jennifer Lopez movie, The Cell. Right. It's a science fiction. Psychological horror thriller directed by Tarsem Singh, and it was his directorial debut. And uh, Singh also did the movie The Fall. Um, he's known for this very like high fantasy surrealist style. And before we get into talking about the production, I wanted to ask you why you wanted to talk about this movie and when you first saw it and what you felt about it when you saw it. I wanted to talk about this movie um, because I think it's the first like horror movie I really saw. Uh, I grew up like pretty sheltered and my mom didn't let me watch anything with violence. So uh, I think I first saw this probably in college because my roommate worked at Blockbuster and he's a big horror fan. Um, So I I watched it and it really kind of like blew my mind. Like I I love animation because there's really, um, there's kind of like no limits to your imagination. And sometimes live action gets a little like repetitive to me. Um, But the cell feels like an animated movie to me. And it's just so gorgeous. And it was kind of like sexy and like disgusting. And uh, J-Lo, like huge J-Lo fan. Like J-Lo was the whole reason that I wanted to see it basically. (laughs) Right. Oh, yeah. I mean, she is the movie in so many ways. And this movie wouldn't be what it is without her. So this movie, it came out in 2000. And I saw it about two years after it came out when my mom rented it. And I am not easily scared of things. And I wasn't easily scared of things as a kid either. But this movie terrified me. Like, I was so fucking freaked out when I saw this movie. I remember, especially the part in his mind, and we'll talk about it, where you see the victims, like in that chamber, I was so traumatized. The next day I went to school. I didn't hadn't slept all night because I was just thinking about that part of the movie. And the next day I went to school and I was like so freaked out. I had like a PTSD moment and had to go home early because I was so like the movie upset me so much. So then watching it years later, I could appreciate it and I didn't feel that way about it anymore. And now I can watch it and it's fine. But it it will always stand out to me as like one of the only films that has ever truly disturbed me. (laughs) That is so shocking to me. I know. 
horror queen. I know. And it's like not that scary. Like I was watching it last night and I was like, oh, this is I could stand for this to be a little bit more disturbing. And it yeah, but it just at that time as like a 12-year-old, I was just like so horrified by this concept. And the way that he murders his victims was like so horrific to me as a child. And it is horrific. Like it's very scary. Um but it's also so over the top that it's not as scary as it was to me when I was a kid. It kind of looks like a like a problematic America's Next Top Model photo shoot a little bit. Oh my god, yes. Oh my god, that's yeah, that's a really good way to describe it. Yeah, exactly. It does. Yeah. So Let's let's talk about the production of the cell. So the movie stars Jennifer Lopez, Vince Vaughn, and Vincent D'Onofrio. The music is by Howard Shore, which is notable because he does, I think, pretty much I think all of David Cronenberg's movies. He does the score for them. Um, Cronenberg loves him, and he's very good at creating like scary thriller atmosphere. The costumes in the cell were done by the legendary Aiko Ishioka. <sighs> Cannot Ooh. say enough about how much I love her work. She also did Bram Stoker's Dracula from 1992. She's, I mean, the costumes are the part of what make this movie interesting. It's like literally my favorite part of the movie. Yeah. It's like, what is going to happen next? Like with these outfits, um, are we going to talk about that? Like legendary quote that she, she had about like the collar that she made for JLo. Oh, please. It's please tell us the quote. <laughs> okay. So this is, um, this is from an article I found um, by Emma Fraser Fraser. Um, but she says, uh, the first of many audacious costumes is worn by JLo in the cell. This featured a high color white gown, blah, blah, blah. Oh, wait, this is like about the, sorry. I have like too many notes about the costumes. This is like, no, that's good. I'm glad that you have those. (laughs) Okay. So this is a quote from the actual designer. Um, she essentially becomes a sex toy. So she had to look erotic and uncomfortable at the same time. I gave her a sheer dress, a big black and red wig, and a bizarre hard collar made of plastic. Jennifer asked me if I could make the collar a little more comfortable, and I said, no, you're supposed to be tortured. (sighs) Fanning myself. (laughs) (laughs) Aiko Ishioka might be kinky. (laughs) Like She really uh, understands what's supposed to be happening in that scene, which is the the kinkiest scene in the film. Uncomfortable and tortured. That's the look, like, really. It's the look. I mean, she's – I'm literally staring at my wall right now, which has, like, all of my toys on it, and I have a posture collar. Uh, Like, I love posture collars. It's And probably because of my early uh, horrific experience with this movie. I mean, the other thing as a kid is, like, even though I was so scared, I was still fascinated by how beautiful it was and how beautiful the costumes are in particular. Yeah, this definitely would have uh, fucked me up as a kid. I did not get to see it. I I saw it as a teenager, but not like as a kid. But I remember like this image. uh, (gasps) Yes. The illustration of J-Lo in that like hard collar outfit with the face mask with Vincent D'Onofrio behind her and his like 
courtly monster look. And I remember seeing that as a kid and I was like, oh, I am interested. I'm intrigued. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the makeup was nominated for an Academy Award. There's too many people who worked on the makeup even for me to list here. There was a huge team of people, but it was nominated, but it didn't win. Michelle is Academy Award nominated? Yes. That is amazing. Only the, only the makeup. I'm actually surprised that the costumes weren't nominated, but I mean, we, we all know how the Academy is about women, especially women of color, winning anything. Uh, fuck the Academy Awards. I mean, shout out to J-Lo. This is like the first of many like instances of people sleeping on J-Lo and her performances. Ugh, like she, she's just so, um, she's like very soft in this movie. She but is, yeah. Still appropriately disturbed, but um, she has like a, a centeredness to her. That she does. I- I don't know if I've ever seen in anything else. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I want to talk about this more when we actually have a I have a little space for a discussion here about JLo in the 90s. Um, but that was something like I was watching this movie with my roommates last night and they were, you know, they were like, oh, JLo's actually good in this. And I was like, listen, JLo is a good actor. Like, I I don't know where she got this rep that she's not a good actress. Like all the romantic comedies. People right. think that romantic comedies mean you can't act, I guess. Like, right. Right. <laughs> like she's good and her pathos in this is incredible. And I think that she embodies this kind of nurturing caretaking character while also still being this extremely um this individual and having I, I don't know I just find that she and she also exhibits like an appropriate amount of pathos but it's it's tempered by her horror of this man's acts in this very realistic way that I think a lot of us would feel (laughs) in a situation like this, like being human and having empathy for someone, but also understanding that they're dangerous and you can only have but so much empathy for them. Like she's very good at that. That's how I saw it too. I looked up a bunch of reviews that came out at the time and it seems like a lot of critics did not feel that like that she was horrified enough by these things going on like well this is a woman who like part of her job is dealing with horror so maybe she's just more complicated than you i don't like whatever i i was looking at up the reviews too because this movie um it had a lot of box office success because of j-lo in it but it, it it but it had very negative reviews except for an extremely glowing review from Roger Ebert and i decided last night while watching this movie that i think that this movie gets shit on because it is a poc led production and i think because the, the <laughs> lo is the star and it's directed by Tarsem Singh and the there's also Marianne Jean Baptiste is in it as well. There's like moments in this film where there's no white people on screen. And I think that that was, I, I think 
people are stupid <laughs> and <laughs> hateful. And I really just think that that's the reason that this wasn't as successful a lot of the, as the, a lot of the other thrillers that came out around this time, because it's better than a lot of them. Yeah, it gets compared to Seven a lot. But um, I like this like a thousand times more than Seven. <laughs> I don't see. Yeah, I think Seven is like a very typical sort of white bro thriller movie. And I think that The Cell has an amount of kindness and pathos in it and um, a light and a hope at the end of like all of these dark things that movies like Seven don't have. Um, And I think that that is too complex for people. And I like that is that's my read on the cell. Um, I love that. I got like physically super angry reading this like slate review um, that said when I could when I go to a serial killer flick, I don't want to see a serial killer or his inner child coddled and empathized and forgiven. I want to see him shot, stabbed, impaled, eviscerated, and finally engulfed, shrieking in flames. The cell serves up the most gruesomely misogynistic imagery in years and then ends with a bid for understanding. I don't like, No, I don't feel that way about it at all. I mean... JLo literally eviscerates this child at the end. She kills him. I mean, spo- like, spoiler. I mean, go, <laughs> go watch the movie if you haven't seen it, but she kills him at the end. It's just that... And this is – do you ever listen to the podcast You're Wrong About? No. It's really good. And it's by um, these two two journalists, uh, Michael Hobbs and Sarah Marshall. And uh, Sarah Marshall, one of her – the the podcast is dedicated to debunking cultural myths. And one of the cultural myths that Sarah Marshall talks about a lot is this idea of, like, people who do horrible things as just being absolute monsters. Um, and who exactly is that helping to, to, treat, to treat it that way? And I'm not saying that we need to have empathy for men like this who kill women. I'm just saying that there's got to be somebody whose job that is. If we're going to have, if if like as if you are a prison abolitionist, if you are anti incarceration, as I am, like there needs to be people whose job it is to reckon with that. And in J in the movie Jennifer Lopez, that is her job. So of course she's going to have a dialogue with this person's inner child. And she's also very clear about the fact that he is a bad person, but Mm -hmm. his inner child, like the way that he sees himself as a child is the part of him that isn't. And that doesn't mean that he's not a, an an evil person. Um, Anyway. So that's, that's my rant about that and we can definitely reckon with that more (laughs) when we talk about the plot um the cinematography of obviously right is one of the most beautiful parts of this film and it was um the cinematography is done by paul laufer who has also done music videos for beyonce and Katy perry i thought that was pretty cool and i also you know we're talking about jennifer lopez and i wanted to talk about her acting career in the 90s because I think a lot of people really when they think of Jennifer Lopez they think of a pop star but acting was actually 
her first love. Um, and she originally wanted to be an actress. And she was in this movie, this low-budget movie called My Little Girl in 1986. And she told her parents about her dream of becoming a movie star. And they insisted that it was stupid and that no Latinos did that. So she ended up becoming a backup dancer for New Kids on the Block. She did work for the show In Living Color. And then in 1997, she starred along Jack Nicholson and Stephen Dorff in the movie Blood and Wine. And then about in March, a few months later, she starred in the title role of the Selena biopic um, of the same name which was her breakout hit. So do you, I guess I'm just wondering if you have any like personal impressions about Jennifer Lopez at this time. I I kind of like feel like my memory of JLo being like an actor and a pop star are like these two, like kind of like parallel universes that were running next to each other. Because I remember like her music so clearly from that time. Cause I'm, Hashtag over 30. Um, (laughs) Good. (laughs) And she was just like, uh, she was an icon, you know? She was like a fashion icon. I remember her music videos so clearly. But then whenever I saw her movies, it was just like she was a different person. She's like, she's like, I feel like like she should have been Joan Crawford, you know? Like if people took her seriously. Uh, There was some sort of like actor studio thing recently where she was with like a bunch of other actors talking about their careers and a white actress was like, well, I would never do, I think it was Scarlett Johansson actually. God, of course it was. (laughs) Of course. Uh, Where she was like, I would never do romantic comedies, like kind of like implying that it was like beneath her and JLo was kind of like, well, I mean, maybe like no other roles were offered to me, you know, at the time. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with doing romantic comedies, like do it with pride. Right. There's not it well people yeah, and people look down on them because it's like this women's genre. And at this time also, I mean, JLo was in a lot of romantic comedies, and she in all of the movies that she was in, she is very kind of strategically whitewashed. Mm-hmm. Like they would cast her as like in um the wedding planner, right? She's supposed to be Sicilian. Uh, she or like in some other movies, she's Greek, right? So these films, or, or it's like made in Manhattan, right? Where yeah. she, where she is like a, a Latino maid in a mm-hmm. in a hotel, like she, yeah, she's very much. Only now has Jennifer Lopez been able to embody her her full self but during this time yes she was very much like and it was almost like her acting and her music was kept very intentionally separate like her in her music she was sort of allowed to be this like um more of herself and in her films it was like oh we have to have this other image for her in her films and I'm, yeah, I mean, I'm sure like somebody could write an entire essay about that. Um, it the way that Jennifer Lopez was marketed and perceived during this time. Yeah, it kind of blows people's minds to see her in the cell because it doesn't really fit into any of these boxes. Right. 
No, exactly. It's kind of a part. It's not a romantic comedy. And she was in other thrillers. But this is a very... I mean, we don't... This is a horror movie in a lot of ways. And women of color are not really ever the the center of horror films at this time. So it very... Even now, like that is just now being tempered with and but it's that's very uncommon for horror films at this time and I think it's like one of those films in her filmography that's like oh that's like a weird Mm -hmm. a weird little thing that she did Um, and I think also people at this I think at this time too it was kind of like oh if Jennifer Lopez is in a movie it's not serious which I think is another reason that this film gets the rep that it does. Um, I've heard a lot of people, like if I mention that I love this film, people will laugh like I'm joking or something, or like it's like a cheesy thing to like. And I'm like, this movie's legitimately very good in, in a lot of ways. In this movie? Or did they just think like, oh, LOL, J-Lo in a horror movie? Yeah, I think that's what, I don't even think they've seen it. I think it's just like, oh, J-Lo in a horror movie. That's funny. I can't imagine watching this movie and being like, LOL. I know, it's really intense. Like yeah. a lot of really intense themes. Uh, her So her, her first album dropped in 1999. So by 2000, when The Cell comes out, she's already this major star. And during the process of recording her second album, Lopez decided that's when she's decided to tweak her image. She began to develop herself into more of a sex symbol. She started going by JLo, which was a name that was coined by the director Oliver Stone. Oh. Right. On the set of the 1997 film U-Turn, which I thought was really funny that Oliver Stone pretty much dubbed JLo JLo. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's so weird because that's another we don't think of people don't think of Jennifer Lopez as being entrenched in this world of quote unquote cinema but like who better than Oliver Stone to oh, right Stone gave JLo her drag name like I I, uh, <laughs> I can't handle that right it's so bizarre and surreal uh, so with that said, let's talk about the plot of the cell. Let's do it. So we open with this beautiful, surrealistic desert landscape, beautiful music. Uh, and Jennifer Lopez, who's playing Catherine, is in her first all-white outfit with these this gorgeous, like feathery. Uh, collar situation and she's riding a horse through the desert there's this very cool moment where she dismounts the horse and the horse turns into a, a chess piece and she walks over a sand dune towards this flashing light and we meet this child who is this child named Edward um, who's signaling her with this, this necklace that reflects sunlight. And she thanks him for the horse, but she, you know, she says, I thought we were going sailing today. So kind of what's happening here is um, JLo is a, a child psychologist who is, has entered the mind of this child, Edward, who is in a coma. 
and she is trying to basically wake him up, unlock this part of himself and and get him out of this coma. Um, But the child is, he's very avoidant. He's, um, he talks about this boogeyman named Makilok. And he turns into the monster and runs away. And then J-Lo presses this little device in her hand. And suddenly we're back in this uh, facility, which is very futuristic. Yeah, this scene like does so it's like so gorgeous, but it also just sets up like the dream logic of this world like really efficiently. Yeah. Uh the horse transition, like the fact that it within this kid's mind she is a hero, you know, she's like a princess and a warrior. She's in this like white feather gown. Like <sighs> It, it really like every time I watch it, like I know exactly what's going to happen, but every transition, I'm just like, <gasps> like, I'm just like, <laughs> it's so beautiful. Yeah. I mean, it really can't be understated how, what a sweeping opening this is. Yeah. It starts off with a bang, which is good because it kind of takes a while before we're back into, um, into like uh, mind land again. Yeah. The next part of the film is really, um, setting up what's going to happen. So we learn that uh, Jennifer Lopez, we see her, she's, Catherine is like suspended in from these delicate strings. She's in this um, like really crazy uh, red bodysuit that looks like tendons, like human tendons. And very body world. Very body world. And um the the costumes uh were also rem- they're reminiscent of Bram Stoker's Dracula as well and she she as she comes to the other doctors use the nursery rhyme four and twenty blackbirds <laughs> to make sure that she's cogent and uh also the one of the doctors is Marianne the actress Marianne Jean Baptiste who plays Miriam and uh, I love her I always love when she comes up and I love her whenever she pops up i'm like yeah that's kind of everybody in this movie yeah what is oh my god i should have looked it up but the guy's name the other the other actor the guy that was in happiness yes yes oh my god that that, that creeper uh yeah creeper in happiness (laughs) yeah exactly i'm trying to look up actually what his name is oh uh dylan baker yeah, he's not a creeper in this. He's pretty cool, but no, he's chill in this. Yeah, uh, but yeah, these two, these other two doctors on her team. Yeah, and Marianne Jean Baptiste most recently was also in in Fabric, which I covered on a an a bonus episode of the podcast. I listened to it. Yay. <laughs> um, so Edward, his parents, basically, what's happening is they're funding this experimental procedure where uh, Jennifer Lopez goes inside his mind and his, the, his Edward's father wants to withdraw him from the project and put him in a regular hospital. Um, so there's kind of, there's a lot on the line to prove that this actually works. We meet Carl Starger and something I really liked. So that so Carl is the serial killer who's played by Vincent D'Onofrio and he's driving through this desert in his aquamarine pickup truck with his uh, albino dog. And he pulls up to this like really sketchy kind of 
industrial facility, empty industrial facility in the middle of the desert. And I like how we meet both of the characters in the desert. Like we meet Catherine in the desert in a dream, and then we meet Carl in the desert in real life. Ooh, that's true. I feel like there's a there's a few moments like that where we get like an introduction scene and then a parallel introduction scene from a male character and a female character. Yeah, totally. And Carl, he walks up to this water tank and that's when we see that there's this dead woman's body floating in the tank and he admires it and she twitches like her last life shudder. And he is so turned on by this that he like shudders and he grabs his crotch to like quell his boner and begins to empty this water tank, which is just such, I mean, Vincent D'Onofrio is amazing at playing a creep. Like, Uh, uh, he is in my top five favorite creeps. Yeah. love Vincent D'Onofrio. <laughs> he is so good at being a creep. Yeah, he's very scary in this movie. You know, that moment where he like grabs his crotch and he's like uh, his back is turned. Um, yeah, that was like the first moment in the movie where you're just like, like- <laughs> yeah, you're like, oh no, <laughs> what's gonna happen? <laughs> so we've been introduced to Carl. We're back to Catherine and also their names mirror each other as well, Catherine and Carl. Mm-hmm. And Catherine is telling Miriam that she wants to do this reverse feed on Edward. She wants to bring him into her mind. But Miriam is very skeptical. And back at Catherine's house, she smokes a joint. Loved that. The scene, the joint, the computer, yep. the, the ass shot when she opens the fridge. <sighs> the cat and the milk like she is just I'm like this is like the quarantine like dream right here yeah I mean she's obviously queer right (laughs) I love I I love how like single they made her yes how happily she seems to be like living her life I love it yeah exactly (laughs) and there's no romance story between her no. and Vince Vaughn even though you think that that's where it's gonna go it doesn't and then like, thank god I know which I love so I'm just like she's just this cool single woman smoking a joint with her cat like she- watching the experimental French animation stoned as hell as she yes. calls can you tell us about the animation <laughs> yes um so it is a movie called Fantastic Planet which is um a, a French animated movie from 1973, I think. Um, at first, I thought it was Estonian because of how bizarre it is. Uh, if you haven't seen Estonian animation, like, look it up. It's like, it is like the cell. It's very bizarre. <laughs> yeah, and I've seen images from this cartoon before. Yeah, she's just like, yeah, she's cool. She's getting stoned watching cartoons. And... <laughs> little pillow on her lap yeah (laughs) there's also these very yeah little pillow on her lap she also has these images of um 
like various Hindu goddesses around her apartment. And a lot of goddess imagery around her. Yes. Which I love because it's like also like my apartment. Um <laughs> Yeah, she's which is why I'm like, this woman's gay. Like, <laughs> she, like there's this she's there's something there's something going on here with her. Um and Back with Carl, he's he's laying his this victim on this metal slab, right? So there's a lot of parts where, um, you, like you were saying, Carl and Catherine are there's montages where they're intercut, the ed- so that you see that these both these things are happening at the same time, um. And Catherine is dreaming of this pool of water in the middle of the desert, again, in this other gorgeous white dress. She's dreaming of trying to reach Edward the child, who turns into a monster again and scares her away. And now we get the infamous masturbation sequence (laughs) with Carl, which was originally um, cut from the American release because it would give it gave it an NC-17 rating. Um, and then it was added back in the European release, and then it was quietly added back to the American Blu-ray release in 2015, and nobody nobody said anything. It was just like <laughs> quietly added back into the movie, um, <laughs> yeah, without changing the rating from an R. So what's happening in this scene is Carl has um, piercings all down his back with metal rings in them. And he is he suspends himself from the rings on his back. So he does suspension over this the body of his victim and um, masturbates suspended over the body. That's what that's what happens. (laughs) Okay, do you know if you can actually do this? Is this like is this something that you can figure out? Yeah, so I don't know a lot about suspension i haven't um about flesh suspension i haven't done it myself um but in my understanding that's probably not something you should do yeah i watched a lot of like piercing videos right and it seems like this would go awry but like as like a bizarre fantasy um fetish like um it's like i can never forget it (laughs) I mean, yeah, it's something else. I mean, I was when I was watching it last night with my roommates, I was like, I mean, this could be hot if it were like consensual yeah. and not like not a dead person. <laughs> like it's it just feels though like that would be a little dicey for the hooks in your flesh to be moving around that much. How does he get his arm without like lose like the balance of it? Like it seems like the weight would have to be distributed evenly. I'm just thinking way too much about it. (laughs) Well, this is also it's interesting. It's good to talk about too because I am currently compiling uh, research for an essay that I want to write about representations of BDSM in horror, and this is one of the films that I'm looking at and. The way that BDSM is coded in horror as like this thing that adds to the the like deviousness of the villain, um, I don't know. Just the way that SM in general 
happens in horror is this like so aberrant and scary and there's a lot of uh bdsm kink imagery in carl's dreamscape as well which we can talk about like that collar that uh catherine wears in that one scene so i think and it's interesting to me that this yeah that this this person this this serial killer has such an elaborate kink ritual (laughs) (laughs) this is definitely in the world of like hannibal stuff where it's like so it's like it's like um it's like an it's like an art installation level of like effort (laughs) Uh, absolutely yeah (laughs) yeah i uh, i'm like oh movies always make serial killers look so much cooler than they actually are like never that cool (laughs) yeah they're never they're fucking incels they're not cool they're literally all losers yeah like. they're absolute losers exactly <laughs> i went to the museum of death in hollywood and there's i don't know if you've been there um but there's this one room where there's a bunch of like paraphernalia from serial killers like letters and journal entries and um i was reading some of them and i was like these guys are fucking losers <laughs> like they're just misogynist losers they're never this cool i can't watch that ted bundy documentary i'm like i don't want to listen to his bullshit for like seven hours that sounds like torture he's just an asshole like yeah. it's not that interesting You've heard it all before right exactly <laughs> i'm like great okay it's yeah it's so this scene is probably much more interesting than any serial killer that's ever been um and so he we also learn about his ritual through this this masturbation sequence like basically what he does is he kidnaps a woman he puts her in this water tank that is on a timer and it slowly fills up with water he has a security cam on the woman where he films her distress and her death and then afterwards he watches the security cam footage he bleaches the body to make the victim look like a doll And he suspends himself over them while watching the security cam footage and jerking off. So very quite elaborate. (laughs) um, Then after the masturbation sequence, we get this kind of typical crime scene with cops uh, in a thriller, finding the body of Anne Marie, one of Charles's victims or Charles's victims. Pops up. What? What? Yeah. What did you just say? Uh, the detective from Breaking Bad pops up. Right, yeah, that guy pops up. Uh, they, So we learn from these detectives also that Carl bleaches the victims and he puts a collar on their neck, like a handmade collar, a steel collar, because he's a steel worker, and uh, which they don't know, but we know. And this is when we meet uh, Peter, played by Vince Vaughn. And... We who is determined to catch this killer and we see Carl sitting in his car stalking another potential victim. He's also plagued by these headaches, which will become relevant. And the detectives find a dog hair on the body of the victim that they analyze to be from a dog with hypomelanoma, which is albinism. And this is so funny. Uh, Peter just goes, he'd love an animal like that. Like, so serious. 
<laughs> so Carl kidnaps the woman from earlier um, in a parking garage. He uses the dog uh, to lure her. Like he, you know, makes the dog pretend to have been run over and then the woman comes out and comforts the dog and he kidnaps her. That was a very disturbing scene just because of how a large Vincent D'Onofrio looks. (sighs) This movie is why I'm so scared to be in parking garages alone and won't do it. Like it's too scary to me. Yeah, good instincts. But I also feel like a lot of these movies from the the 90s and early 2000s kind of influenced a lot of these serial killer thrillers which were directly influenced by Silence of the Lambs and the the success of that film uh kind of influenced a whole generation of women to be so scared of this kind of violence that is actually quite rare and it's not that it doesn't happen but it doesn't happen as often as you think it does. <laughs> and it's like you are much more likely to be harmed by a man that you know already, right? So it's I, – yeah, I just feel like as a society, like we used to be so preoccupied with serial killers and made so many movies about them that it made it seem like they could be anywhere at any time. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but in reality, like, it's probably not that likely that some dude with who suspends himself from the ceiling is going to jerk off over your body. (laughs) (laughs) So (laughs) that's the good news, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, so that's the good news. (laughs) So Peter talks to his task force. It's like this very typical early 2000s kind of cop drama where go ahead the the one thing i like about this scene is that it starts off with vincent or uh with peter with his uh tank top on and he's like working his teeth or something and i just i i always liked it because like you see that pantsless shot of j-lo so early right it makes peter and Catherine seem like they're equally vulnerable in this by showing them like um kind of unclothed in the movie. Right. Yeah, that's a really good point. And it there's a lot of reasons that I don't feel that there's a particular sense of misogyny in this movie. And one of them is Peter's softness. Yes. I He is a very soft character. Um, he is bent on catching this guy, but in a way that deviates from the typical macho bullshit of like cop procedural dramas he's very much not macho it's very much to him about catching someone who's harming people like it's not really about his ego i don't know if you got that sense as well yeah i mean there's a scene coming up where he kind of explains his like motivations for doing what he does right you know, it's out of um, it's out of like concern for other people, right? It it's yeah. and he's very, he's just very soft. Like he doesn't yell. He's very kind of measured and understanding of Catherine's hesitance as well. Um, yeah, and there's just like a compassion that that he has. Yeah, he doesn't come off like a bully. Like he could, I feel like he could easily 
come off that way because most cops kind of do. Right. Uh, I mean, like, still a cab, but like, considering that <laughs> it, like most cops in films are not represented this way, um, I find it to be interesting. And like you said, that that mirroring of them. Go ahead. Um. At at this point in Vince Vaughn's career, was he? I because I I kind of have a hard time tracking like where it's his his like timeline is was he kind of like known for being like a smart alecky kind of like character at this point i don't i don't think so yet yeah um but i you know don't quote me on that because i don't remember a lot of vince vaughn's filmography from before (laughs) this like i remember wedding crashers and like all of the stuff that comes after this but i don't i don't know if he was known for that yet i mean actually we can check that part of him is very toned down in this movie and it's used very sparingly no he hadn't actually been in that many movies like he had been in the lost world jurassic park (laughs) um clay pigeons he was norman bates in the remake of psycho um so also, his like tiny little soft face. He looks so young in this movie. He has such a baby face. Yeah. yeah little, like curls. Like he looks like a different person. He does. Yeah. And he, he just doesn't have that asshole presence that he does in a lot of movies. No, this one might be my favorite Vince Vaughn performance. <laughs> I mean, honestly. Yeah. So Peter talks to his task force and they're talking about how they're going to catch Carl and he believes that he wants to be caught at this point. Um, the detectives go see Julia, who who's the latest victim. They go see her family, and you know they're talking to them about who she might have known, who might have been following her. Uh, they get a call with a breakthrough in the investigation, and they found basically this like very fortuitous crossover where they find that the I'll. I'll, I'll albino shepherd pups and the aquamarine ford like they found someone who has both bought those those things um also the the dog's name is valentine which we find out which is interesting because it's like carl's little sick valentine to these women um and peter he looks at this photo of carl and he's like you're a bad man aren't you carl I wrote that down too. (laughs) So, I mean, he's just so horrified by him. Carl takes a bath. There's so much water imagery in this movie. Like, you kind of get tripped up if you like try, don't take a drink every time there's water imagery because you will be wasted watching this movie. Yeah, there's a ton (laughs) of water imagery, like right away. Water, like, and the contrast between the water and the desert, like the, the extreme and then the oasis. And he, Carl takes this bath and he has this headache. Uh, and he has an attack that puts him into a coma before the SWAT team arrives at his house and they find him in a coma. And they they examine his basement, which is full of these bleached and broken dolls. Movies are always so intent on like having serial killers be obsessed with dolls. <laughs> It's like a Nine Inch Nails video in his yes! face. <laughs> well, which is actually really apt because Tarsem Singh loves Mark Romanek, uh, who directed a lot of Nine Inch Nails music videos. Yes. And this is another way for me to bring up uh, the Brothers Quay. Amazing. Uh, 
which is uh, they're an anim- they're a stop motion animation duo um, that influenced um, a lot of this imagery from this time, like the Nine Inch Nails, the fucking dolls. It's literally Carl's basement, but animated, and all the dolls are playing with wet meat. That's kind of the aesthetic of this animation. It is horrifying. <laughs> yeah, and it's yeah, it's very close to this. And then, you know, Mark Romanek, Nine Inch Nails music videos are also very interested by influenced by the Brothers Quay. Mm-hmm. Um so they also find his like ritual area with the steel slab that has these specific markings on it and um this the the security cam footage of his last victim. We see Julia now in this empty glass tank. She's confused and we know as the audience that she will meet the same fate. I always have such the, the hardest scenes for me are the ones of the women drowning in the tanks um, because I immediately put myself in those situations and just like how scared they must be. Like, and, ooh, that's the worst part for me. I was going through all the emotions with Julia this week. Yes. <laughs> so they, the detectives are talking to this doctor and he tells them that this is, this is so funny. He tells them that Carl has a rare form of schizophrenia called Wayland's infraction, which is not real, <laughs> uh, which causes uh, a per- can cause a permanent coma. And that there's no chance of him waking up. So time is counting down for Julia, who is locked away in this facility and no one knows where she is. And she's on this timer of the water coming into the tank. So this is, I mean, quite ableist. Like, it's – that's not how schizophrenia works. A lot of the time they – in this film, they keep referring to schizophrenia as a virus – I, I kept hearing that and I'm like, hold up. Like, do I completely not understand how schizophrenia works? No, <laughs> that's not how schizophrenia works. Schizophrenia, like many other el- mental illnesses, is a chemical imbalance in a certain area of your brain. It's not a viral infection. You can't catch schizophrenia, right? Doctor from Constantine with Keanu Reeves. Like, he's <laughs> Saying a lot of yeah, he's saying a lot of irresponsible things. <laughs> yeah. So this, like this, the whole Wayland's infraction thing is kind of where the movie loses me a bit because it takes me out of it because that is not how mental illness functions. You really could have just left all of this explanation out. And- yes. Because, like, I could still buy that going into this person's mind would be fucked up, you know? He doesn't need to be schizophrenic. No. Like, you could, you know, as somebody who has had people in my life who were schizophrenic, like, it is such a misunderstood mental illness and things like this do not help. (laughs) And I think a lot of people have really – uninformed ideas about what schizophrenia is from representations like this. And yeah, it didn't need to be that. You could just say that he had a brain hemorrhage and is in a coma or something. Like it doesn't doesn't have to be schizophrenia. And I feel like they were trying to mix in some other things that were unrelated uh, medically, like the idea of having like a trigger 
or right. her like the water thing. But I'm like, that really has nothing to do with this like weird, like schizophrenia virus thing that you're trying to talk about. It's a very uh, confusing scene. It's quite confusing. I mean, even if you had him like, you know, he overdosed on a, on something, you know, be, you know, to deal with like, what he's just done or you know something like that would put him in the coma have this through line of him feeling kind of guilty like that child part of him that is guilty so yeah they could have they could have worked around that right exactly anyway so the doctor thinks of Catherine, and the detectives like rush to her facility i love the rushing to (laughs) the slow motion (laughs) Pan across like the hot engines of yes. like the planes. I'm like, this is so extra. I love it's, it. It's so extra. And they explain to her and her team what Carl does to his victims. They they show secure the security camp footage and that they need to find Julia. Catherine is very skeptical because she says it takes months to earn the trust of someone in a coma. Uh, But Peter kind of pushes and Catherine, moved by Julia's plight, agrees to enter Carl's mind and find her. Yes. (laughs) So they they bring Carl into the facility and Julia recognizes the marks on his back as that of suspension, which also indicates to me that she's a cool freak for knowing (laughs) what that is. I, I just think she's queer. She talked it so fast. She just like she's like suspension. Yes, people enjoy the feeling of weightlessness. Like okay, (laughs) there's there's so many like little Easter eggs about her like being a cool weirdo. (laughs) Um, there's also this foreshadowing with the joint therapy uh, aspect because there's like another table in the in the the dream room uh, that they say they, oh, they used to have joint therapy sessions, but Edward didn't like it. So Catherine enters Carl's mind and we immediately see a memory of his baptism as a child in a river. And it's like this very trippy thing where like she goes through his mind and like the baptism scene like rotates like the camera rotates and like all of a sudden we're underwater. Um, were you going to say something? Sorry. I love the 3d animation in this movie. Like it clearly looks um, like kind of like basically rendered, but I feel like it's aged really well. Uh, it looks like it has. Yeah. It like uh, when you're, when they're panning through kind of like the reeds underwater and they have like the dolls kind of like poking through. Yeah. It's kind of beautiful. It is really beautiful. It's artificial, but we're in a dream, so I don't care. So it's okay. Yeah. A lot of the artificiality in this you sort you just go with because it's a it's it's your mind. It's I also really love the way that this film represents trauma and in in dreams and the way that memories from different parts of your life kind of just mush together like oh i'm in the house where i grew up but there's also a room in here where that i live in now and my adult self and like you know just the way things in dreams kind of become one um fantastic dream logic and yeah. I, also, 
I love the idea that inside your mind, it's a collection of memories and also like your Tumblr mood board, you yes. know, like, together. Yes, exactly. Which is what it feels like. <laughs> and also that there's different parts that they can be in and he's not there watching is yeah. interesting or like not that version of him. Um, yeah, like you can hide from him in himself. Right. Yeah. You can hide from the version of him that's a killer and and meet these other versions of him. Um, so th- the other thing actually that one of my roommates pointed out, which I hadn't thought of before, is that Jennifer Lopez is kind of able to access this world in this certain way because she is literally physically different than his victims. Um, like she's not his type. Like when you see his victims, they're all these white blonde women. And yep she's kind of able to like move like they they do have a fucked relationship in his head eventually but she's he i think he sees her as more of like mommy figure than as like a doll to to manipulate or something i was thinking about that too because when she enters the child's mind she gets this like princess uh outfit because that's how this child sees her right and how does he see her when she enters? She's like wearing like capri khakis and like a spaghetti tank. Yeah. Like- <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, she's wearing a, a spaghetti tank and khakis. Yeah, exactly. It's so <laughs> funny. Understated outfit to be in this like this like horror show, right? Uh, so yeah, I don't think Carl quite knows what to make of her when she's first in there. She's kind of nobody. Yeah, you're right. It's a very like nondescript. I don't yeah. even think he's checking for her at this right. point. <laughs> right. Yeah, he doesn't know what to do with her yet. Um, she sees she like she wakes up in this empty stone, like kind of labyrinth chamber, and she sees Carl's child self and follows him to this very horrific Damien Hurst moment where the, the this horse is standing in the middle of a room and there's a clock ticking and um the clock stops and the the child pushes her out of the way and these like glass blades come down from the ceiling and bisect the horse into different sections much like a Damien Hurst art piece so they make contact and he saves her yeah, it's like one of the most iconic scenes in the movie. Yes. <laughs> and also the horse pieces are like still like moving in the in the glass. Ugh. And, and Catherine is very non-judgmental of this. Like once it actually happens, she like walks through and she wants to kind of like touch everything, mm-hmm. see everything that's going on. Yeah, she's I- super non-judgmental. Yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah, she is an extremely she's been through a lot as a person I feel like you can tell and she's extremely accepting and non-judgmental she did not want to go into this horrible man's mind but now that she's there she knows that the only way to be successful at this is to not judge him and which is something that go ahead to understand yes exactly Which is something that no one else around her can really do with him. Like, she's really the only one. Um, Catherine goes to the victim chamber area, which is the part that scared the shit out of me as a kid. So there's this, like, 
area, this like empty circle area. I mean, it's kind of beautiful. There's like these. Go ahead. Yeah, the the introduction of the scene where the camera starts kind of like stuttering. Yeah. That felt very like stop motioning to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and just and again, like put me in this like animation place with it. Definitely. Then, oh my god. And then she keeps like touching all of these cells, like delicately kind of like unlocking all these chambers and staring at these dolls that he's yeah, so if if anybody has ever been to the Museum of Natural History in New York City, um, that's kind of like what this reminded me of—just like these glass diar these dioramas, basically. So what he has in this chamber is each one of his victims is in their own little diorama area, um, and they're playing. Out- I don't even know how to describe this. They're playing out. E- each one of them is playing out a very kind of like horrific little diorama but it's also kind of beautiful like there's one woman that looks like she's covered in mud and she's got like chains around her wrists and she's with this deer and it's like very everything is very blue and it looks like the uh losing my religion music video from rem which uh tarsem singh directed and there's yeah there's a woman in like um a dental chair. A dental chair. And she's got like like bondage gear all over her. Um, it's like – it's actually – a lot of the scenes are actually quite sexy um, and very beautiful. But it's, it's like his little di- – and they all have these steel collars on. And it's his area where he keeps his idealized versions of these victim dolls – um, and there's like a crank that JLo turns and like each one of them acts out like a very repetitive little movement. Like one of the women is uh, in a situation where she's tap dancing like the she's like in an anime mask and she's like a an animatronic bondage tap dancing. Yeah, yeah. Like- moment mm-hmm. it's really fucked up <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> and, uh, and amazing uh it's like it will be like seared into your brain <laughs> yes yeah and there's also this like amazing bodybuilder woman this like extremely muscular woman in this steel collar who knocks Catherine out and brings her to this surreal throne room where Carl presides. And it's like hard to even describe this. It's like this giant throne room where Carl has this insane purple cape that's attached to the rings on his back. And the cape is like all around the room as if it's, as if it's curtains. But when he gets up from the throne, you can see it's attached to him and it follows him as he walk towards her, walks towards yeah. her. It's pretty fabulous. Yeah. And he he's like, where do you come from? Because <laughs> he's so shocked because he knows she's not part of his mind. Like, he didn't make her up. So Catherine is horrified and she aborts herself from the dream with a little device in her hand and emerges from his mind exhausted. And which, yeah, <laughs> she's she's zapped. <laughs> And the tank where Julia is being held begins to fill with water intermittently. Uh, So we see she's running out of time. 
Peter finds Catherine. She's sitting by Edward's bed and the, the, the child who's in a coma. And she explains to him that she doesn't want to go back into Carl's mind because it's a terrible place. And she doesn't want to – she says when she's in somebody's mind, she feels what they feel. And she doesn't want to feel those things again. And fair. <laughs> and they leave and they're – she's like, I don't want to talk about this in here because she knows from working with people in a coma that they can hear and know what's going on around them. Um, and she – they leave and they sit outside. And this is when we get more of uh, Peter of Peter's character development and why he does what he does. And there's this very disturbing story he tells about um, – a man that uh, a pedophile that they caught who was released and he ended up killing one of his victims. And it's this very kind of like fear mongering (laughs) story again about like, again, something I'm sure and, and I know does happen, but is very rare. And, but according to thrillers, you would think it's like an everyday occurrence. (laughs) really insane story that he tells her on this patio yeah Um, yeah she takes it really well (laughs) right right and he says that you know he explains that this is why he got into the work that he got into and Catherine explains that she made contact with boy carl and that she thinks that the only way to reach him is through his child self And because that's the part of himself that he sees as innocent. And there's also this really interesting moment where Peter, you know, he says that people can be abused, but that's no excuse for becoming what Carl has become, because there are people that endure a lot worse abuse and and don't become monsters. And she says, do you you know that for a fact? And he says, yes, I, I know, like in a way that insinuates that he is a a victim of abuse, which adds a lot of pathos and dimension to his character. I really enjoy that moment. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, yeah, it's like, it's a scene that like, didn't really, I I could see another movie cutting it out. Right. Uh, But I did, I did like getting to know him a little bit more. Yeah. And you can see also there's this pain in him as well. Like this, it, this is how he's ch- he's chosen to reckon with the things that have happened to him. It also makes me think about uh, Carl as, when we see him as an adult outside of his own mind. Mm. He comes across very childlike to me. Yes, absolutely. In the bathtub, like um, it's just like another way to connect all those like sides of him. Right. Yes. So Catherine suggests bringing in Carl's dog to keep him peaceful during the sessions. And the dog kind of comes in and starts like licking Carl's hand. Um, And Catherine enters Carl's mind again and has this kind of like meta dream where she doesn't know she's in his mind at first. And uh, then she, which is very like typical of a dream. I feel like we all have a dream like that where you're like, I'm awake. And then all of a sudden you're two feet tall and you're like, no, I'm not. I love the moment where she says, I'm already in. And they imply that she says that in her sleep. So again, we kind of jump out of the dream and then back into the dream. Right. Yeah. 
So now she's transported back into Carl's mind where she is in this small glass box and she breaks free and she is suspended in midair like the victims in the water, right? Like swimming in air and she looks like one of the women in the in the tank. And she's no longer in her khakis. No. Now she's in a, a, this beautiful red kind of bloody gown. Yes. Floating. So Carl has begun has begun to dress her in his mind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she calls Valentine to her. She asks the dog to take her to Carl. And in the distance, she sees Carl's childhood home. Um, and she goes into the home and she sees his boy self frantically drying dishes. And she gives him the light catching necklace that she gave Edward also um, and says, you know, whenever you need me, flash this and I'll come. And Carl breaks a dish by accident and he again protects Catherine by shoving her in a closet and she watches this montage of horrific childhood abuse that Carl endured at the hands of his father and she's also standing in this in the closet she's standing in this shallow pool of eels um it's very trippy this is the hardest scene in the movie for me to watch. It's really hard. Yeah. It's, it's really brutal. It's really brutal. It's really horrific. This is like, you know, the kind of over the top serial killer stuff I can sort of write off because I'm like, this is so fantastical. But this is like more true to life. Like the, the people that hurt people are usually people that you already know. And yeah, it's that that also that surreal eel moment. It's just like he, the the water imagery comes back over and over and over again. Yeah, and this feeling of feeling completely unsafe even yeah. when she's hiding. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, he his father like demeans him. He calls him a faggot. Like he just uses really horrible demeaning homophobic misogynist language. And Catherine um, is Catherine is also so like you really feel for her in this scene too because she is like crying like she really has a lot of compassion for his child self and she turns around and suddenly the adult is really quite beautiful adult Carl is behind her he is sitting by a bathtub like bleaching his first victim. And he says, so he's like, oh, she was my first. I made such a mess. So he's like, adult Carl is now making contact with Catherine. And he says to her, why are you here? And she says, I came to help you. And he says, no, you didn't, bitch, whore, cunt. (laughs) And she's like, you sound like your father. And... (laughs) Carl, you know, he tells Catherine that he had a seizure while being baptized as a child, uh, thus the water obsession. And Catherine tries to ask Carl about Julia, but he fucking flips out. This is this is like one of my favorite scenes in the entire movie. Yeah, he he turns into this like 
demon guy that's like painted white and he has these horns on his head made of his own hair. <laughs> I was so turned on by this scene. It's hot. Yeah. It's so hot. Like it's at first, like it's so thrilling because you finally get to see Catherine and Carl really speak to each other for the first time. Um, not as a complete monster exactly and not as a child. Yeah. And it has that line that they used for every trailer where she tells him that nobody should ever be treated like he was treated as a child. And he says, in what world do you live in? Before his monster version of himself again. Right. And he takes a collar, a metal collar that has like spikes in it and then inside the collar and snaps it around her neck and she like blood pours from her neck it's so good it's so good yeah meanwhile back at the facility the team is freaking out because Catherine. they say Catherine is lost in carl's mind and someone else needs to go in and rescue her so peter is gonna go into carl's mind and there's this very trippy sequence uh, and Peter is dropped into this, again, a desert scape with these three women who are like sitting in the sand with their mouths open, like wide open, looking up at the sky. And this is inspired by um, a Norwegian painting. I forget the name of the artist. Um, Odd Nerdrum. Odd Nerdrum. And, <laughs> and the from- painting is called Dawn. Yeah. And from what the, the women like kind of turn and like say these like, creepy lines to Peter and from what they say I assume it's supposed to be like Carl's mother right because yeah. she because she's like it's not my kid you're a demon it's like really freaky also um saying uh he said that he saw this painting when he was visiting David Bowie's house oh my god <laughs> amazing so many good connections here Peter, this is also really fun, like one of the only moments of comedy in the film, because all of a sudden Peter just goes, okay. (laughs) The the Vince Vaughn sass is like deployed really well. Yeah. (laughs) We also get a little bit of the water connection with him because he wakes up in this puddle. Right, right. And Carl's child self signals signals to Peter with the necklace and leads him to Catherine. And she is this is the best outfit. Oh. Yeah. She's chained. She's got that plastic posture collar on. She's chained to this circle bed. She's got this like red and black lace dress and this crazy red and black hair and this like very gothic makeup and she's also got that steel mask around her head which is also incredible i mean it's like it's all ties together too because carl is a steel worker mm-hmm. so of course he would imagine this steel mask with this like steel collar um it's just gorgeous I love how like plush and soft her prison is. Mm-hmm. And she's like a yeah, she's like in a diorama like the women, like the victims except a bit it's a bit different. Like she's more of a she feels more like a companion. Like yes. she's meant to be an observer. Like he is kind of I think he's a bit intrigued by how much she understands about him. Mhm. So his little cell that he made for her comes across different. Yep. Yeah. It's a, yeah, but she's still a doll. Mm -hmm. And 
she's clearly like out of her mind. Like she's not, she's like fully in the fantasy. She's forgotten who she is. And she tries to seduce Peter by like rubbing herself all over him. It's really hot. (laughs) And this is a very sexy scene. It's very sexy. Yeah. And as she's doing this, uh, Peter gets captured by Carl, who is like in this demented king gold insane outfit i love this like it's like a demented like pope outfit yes yeah this is when i first saw this movie this was probably the most gruesome thing i had ever seen in my life like so gruesome i had never like i didn't even know you were like allowed to show this like it blew my mind (laughs) so fucked i mean Catherine is like smiling and looking on as peter uh, gets tortured by Carl, who is uh, pulling out his organs with this spiked crank, um, which it was actually a real form of medieval torture. Fun. <laughs> so- that's what that's what that's why it messed me up because I'm like this has to be real. Yeah. Like the rings were kind of over the top, the suspension masturbation rings, but like this seems like it's doable. And uh, this, like, him, like, putting his fingers in and, like, <laughs> around. And he's, like, laughing and, like, saying <laughs> nursery rhymes. <laughs> it's so gross. And he's also, like, imitating Peter, too. And he's like, help, help. <laughs> and Peter brings Catherine back to reality by reminding her of her dead baby brother, who um, he died in a car accident after being in a coma. And what I really like about this too is it again shows Peter's softness because in the midst of being tortured, he's able to say this story, but he says, and I'm sorry, I'm sorry that I have to say this. He apologizes. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And Catherine starts crying and she, you know, remembers herself again and she's like attacks Carl. So now they're in a different scene. Catherine and Peter are now in this like different chamber of Carl's mind. Child Carl is there. He like stabs him straight through the chest with like a stake. Yes, <laughs> like a vampire. <laughs> and there's this glass cube. This is a beautiful scene too. There's this glass tank full of water with this like happy corpse lady. Uh, like swimming around in it. And there's also a cube next to it floating in the air that has like the security cam footage of the ghost lady. So kind of like a very surrealist version of what he does. It's a very like early 2000s Madonna moment. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) And it's also interesting that the way that he chooses to see these women floating in the water is like as happy like yeah the, she looks like a like a happy little like sea witch or mm-hmm. something yeah it's really beautiful yeah and the cube has the same markings on it like the one that this the steel slab from Carl's basement and suddenly peter recognizes that symbol and knows where to find julia and catherine meanwhile is making a breakthrough with child carl but peter knowing now where to find Julia, he tears her away as the evil King Carl like (laughs) pops up from the shadows like doing a cartwheel. (laughs) Okay, was this Vincent D'Onofrio doing the cartwheel? I thought I hope so. (laughs) It is. (laughs) And it's very it's very much like 
you know, it's very smart because he's got it's like he's got this medieval outfit on. He was doing the swarm of medieval torture. And he also kind of looks like this medieval like jester, right? As he like cartwheels out. Dancing and Yeah. Okay, so Peter finds the symbol, and uh, it's a logo of the steel industrial plant in Bakersfield, California, which is why it's in the middle of the desert. Bakersfield. (laughs) Which I hear – I mean, as an East Coaster who just moved to the West Coast, I've heard that Bakersfield is like a notorious (laughs) creepy Uh, place. Uh, yeah, my sister had a boyfriend whose relatives lived out there and she kept visiting and I'm just like, girl, like, I don't know. <laughs> this is where the serial killers are. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so Catherine goes, has decided to go. She's pissed. She's like, I was going to make a breakthrough because it's no longer just about Julia for her. Um, she, Catherine goes rogue. And she's going to reverse the feed and bring Carl into her mind. And this is an interesting moment because she uses these like protective talismans to create this happy place in her mind to bring him into. It's like a snow globe and um, this card of – is it the Virgin Mary? I think so. Yeah. It's a card of the Virgin Mary, but it's definitely not like a typical Western Virgin Mary. It kind of reminds me of like – um, a lady of Guadalupe yes. talisman and uh, Car- the child Carl enters Catherine's mind, which is this beautiful snowy scene with cherry blossoms. And um, Catherine is wearing the, the beautiful Virgin Mary outfit. And there's also this, this like animation. I don't even know what you would call it, but it's like that gold leaf that starts happening around the frame. It it reminds me of like MySpace graphics. Totally. Um, and the when like when MIA used to use those in her music videos to to kind of like frame. It is um it's like a mask. It's like a mask animation of right. like lines. Uh, but it's like it, we haven't seen it used in the movie at all, except in Catherine's mind. Um, so I love it as this just like making this like healing space yeah like a and it also reminds me of the um the goddess imagery that she had in her apartment that has those gold frames around them yeah she like set her intentions and uh created this space she's a fucking queer witch like (laughs) she really is she set an intention and like had her protective talismans Catherine, Jennifer Lopez in the cell is a queer witch. Change my mind. (laughs) So child Carl, um, he's talking to uh, Catherine and she, he asks if he can stay there with her and she says she can't, he can't. And she's just trying to show him that things can be different. And he changes into adult Carl, not like evil adult Carl, but like a Carl as he really is. And he tells this story of a bird that he found as a child that was injured that he killed out of mercy because he knew that his father would do something worse to the bird. And basically what he's doing is he's asking Catherine to kill him um, out of mercy because he's very tortured. Uh, And she's like, I can't do that, dude. (laughs) And these bugs start to appear all over him. So like the space starts to change and it becomes dark. There's like this snake in this pool of water and demonic adult Carl has has found, has entered the space. And he's like, go ahead. 
that this like scaly cape that yes. kind of like, spreads out through her beautiful pond like a like black ink yes. and then you emerge from the pool it is amazing yep and he like screams <laughs> and Catherine fights evil Carl in this awesome outfit as oh, into her like warrior mm-hmm. like warrior mode yeah <laughs> and uh, the detectives search for Julia. It's like intercut, right? Like the fight and the search for Julia. And Catherine, uh, she she injures Carl, but in injuring him also injures child Carl. And in a final act of mercy, she drowns child Carl in the pool. And it's very loving. Yeah, not before ripping uh, monster Carl's nipples out. Oh, God, I completely um, forgot that. Also, I'm assuming rips out child Carl's nipples. So <laughs> up. According to the logic of this movie, yes, she also I rips mean, out the child's shirt, nipples. He has like, blood all over the front of his shirt from the pummeling that, that Catherine gives him. Yeah. Yeah, and then she drowns him in this in the in the pool. Yeah, and she's you know it's 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 an act of mercy, and um, Peter finds Julia and breaks her out of the glass tank, which is now full of water. Um, she's broken a tube from yeah. the top of the tank and is sucking on it to like get oxygen. Yep, yep, and. It's very this dramatic scene where he breaks the tank and um, in real life, Carl dies. And as that's happening, Catherine wakes up and cries like in just grief and guilt and trauma. Yeah. And it also parallels um, this victim crying, which, okay, how do you feel about Vince Vaughn like cradling this woman? I was not okay with this. <laughs> <At> first- <laughs> First of all, I watch it. I'm like, oh, give her some space. Can she have some room? Like, he's like cradling her and like rocking her. And I was my I was like watching it. And I was like, first of all, if I were her, I would want to get the fuck out of there as soon as possible. Like, do not keep me. There's time for crying. Like, do not keep me in this chamber anymore. (laughs) And I would want to get out. And also, I wouldn't be fully I wouldn't know if this was the killer or not. Like I would still be like, is this still part of his like sick game? Am I still in this like mind game yeah. or like, op or something? Yeah, like exactly. I guess it was supposed to tie into him being like very soft or whatever. I think so, but, yeah. Like watching it now, it, it definitely comes across as just like wildly inappropriate. Yes. And cat like so that it's paralleled with that and peter next we see peter and his team investigating carl's house and catherine shows up at the house and they're freaked out because catherine is keeping the dog valentine (laughs) how do you feel about her keeping the dog i'm so into her keeping the dog (laughs) it's so weird she's a weirdo (laughs) she really no she's like she's like i gotta remember this forever um this and she's got a cat too. So yeah. I'm like, <laughs> I'm obsessed with her. She's, she is just like on another level of consciousness than all these other people. Like she has this, she's like, Hey, the dog didn't do anything. And also like, like I, you know, and the it, dog helped her out, helped the, her out in the mind, helped her out. It in did. The and it's also, the dog is also representative of a part of Carl that is 
good that she can hang on to as well. And there's so she has this conversation with Peter and it's very you think it's going to go into this place of like romance and it doesn't. And I love that. It's amazing. You're like, oh, uh, and then like, no, no, no. She's in a poncho living her best life. Like, her, like knit poncho. Yeah. Her like little like soft curls. Mm-hmm. She's just like, um, you know, she's she's really feeling herself. Yeah. <laughs> And there's a really – there's a happy, hopeful ending where Catherine brings the child Edward into her mind and um, there's – you know, it looks like there's a breakthrough, a psychological breakthrough happening there. Yeah, thank God this movie ends on such a, a lovely note. It, yeah. Uh- <laughs> and yeah, that is The Cell. So any, any closing thoughts about this film – I mean, yeah, it's weirdly like a comfort movie for me. Like I can like throw this on wherever. Maybe it's the investigation and that it doesn't end in like this pitch black kind of like place. I've been watching it a lot lately because I've realized a lot of my friends in their mid 20s have never seen it. Oh, yeah. I mean, you got to see the cell. And, you know, everyone's interested in J-Lo as an actress again because of Hustlers. Yes. I have like a way in. I'm like, we got to watch the cell. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And I think it's worth it is it is worth revisiting. And there's it is an atypical early 2000s thriller. Um, it's got like some of the really typical elements of them, like the main character being this like woman and, you know, doing this invest like a lot of Ashley Judd movies, right? Like this this investigative sort of element to it. But then there's a lot, also a lot of atypical aspects to it. Um, and it's also just a beautiful piece of art. So thank you so much for exercising the cell with me. Oh my God. Thank you so much for having me. I've been looking forward to this forever. I'm so glad you finally got to be on it. Just like, it's I'm it's better that we did it when now I'm on the West Coast. Um okay. and that time difference. We don't have that anymore. So where can people find you on social media if you want them to? Um, you can find me most everywhere at Sakari Singh. Um, and that's spelled S-A-K-A-R-I-S-I-N-G-H. Uh, you can check out my podcast, Fan Favorite with Jake Thompson on iTunes. And um, you can check out my illustration um, at Sakari Sketches on Tumblr. Yay. And you know where to find me, as always. Twitter and Instagram, Girls Guts Giallo. Join my Patreon. I believe, Sakari, you're a member of the Patreon. It's (laughs) patreon.com slash Girls Guts Giallo. We are doing a lot of fun stuff over there. Lots of live streams, bonus episodes. And um, I'll see you guys in two weeks. Bye.